Praise the Lord. So it was uh, my birthday yesterday. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Okay, it's all right. I only have 35 minutes to preach. Y'all love me. Y'all love me. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, there's a bunch of people that were um, posting uh, birthday wishes on my wall. And uh, actually, our brother David O from New Zealand, he's in China. He's studying in China right now. And uh, he posted on my wall and he said that uh, he and his roommate have been listening to uh, my po- uh, the, our podcast and listening to uh, last week's ser- Sunday sermon. They were just really, really, really blessed. And so I just want to give a shout out to David O. And David's roommate. Not sure what your name is. But if you like my sermons, you must be cool. All right, praise the Lord. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. And I need you to turn there because I'm going to show you something here. First Corinthians chapter two, verse three to five. Okay. All right. Sounds like you're there. All right. First Corinthians chapter two, verse three to five says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. The Apostle Paul here, he describes that when he first came to the city of Corinth and began to preach the gospel, he did not preach with wise and intellectual and academic and thesaurus-like, SAT-like vocabulary words, but he preached simply Christ crucified and resurrected. He preached a simple message, but the, the reason why so many people in Corinth came to Christ is although he preached a simple message, he did it with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and with power. And he says here, right, that he did this because so that your faith might not rest in men's wisdom, but in the power of God. That's why later on, uh, the church at Corinth, uh, they're so crazy about supernatural things. They're so like obsessed with spiritual gifts. And then they end up, you know, kind of going off a little bit unbalanced and, and abusing some of these gifts and things like that. But uh, that's why we have First and 2 Corinthians. And that's why we have... 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 and chapter 13, by the way, the famous one on love that so many pastors quote at marriage, at weddings, and so many of us love to quote 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not, you know, keep a record of wrongs, you know. But that love passage actually came in the context of a teaching on spiritual gifts that was in response to the abuses that were going on in the Corinth church, which resulted because when the first, at, at first, when the Corinth people uh, believed, they believed because they saw the power of God. So that was like the setting. That was, that was what got them going, was they saw the power of God being displayed. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times, um, some preachers will quote this to say, you know, you know, I just preach a simple message. You know, I don't need to preach a, preach a wise and persuasive message. What's important is to demonstrate the power of God. And I agree. I agree. Especially in much of evangelical Christianity, the problem is there's no demonstration of God's power. So young people are leaving the church in droves. Right? When I was working with Campus Crusade, I've been on Campus Crusade staff. I, I was on staff for about seven years. The common statistic that was quoted is that 90, something like 92, it was over 90% of college students that grow up in the church, once they get to college, first day they get to college, they leave the church. 
And so Campus Crusade will be like, well, this, we got to do something about this. And so that, you know, that's what got us going was knowing that 90% of them are going to leave the church. We got to grab them before, you know, they backslide real hard or before they turn away from the faith. Right. And so. And so what, what was it going with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. The problem, a lot of evangelical Christianity is there's no demonstration of power. And the thing is, the young people, they respond to demonstrations of power. When they see somebody get out of a wheelchair, all the young people are like, I don't know what, I don't care what my past church experience has been like, but I want to get with that. That's exciting. You know, they're clapped for that. You know, they're stand up for that. You know, but when you just come at them with just wise and persuasive words and academic sermons, right, you lose a lot of them. Then they end up leaving. So I, I, I do believe that it's very important to do ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I mean, there's got to be demonstration of the Spirit's power. Even our India missions trip one month ago when we were in Manipur, which is a very conservative Baptist denominations. All the churches there were very conservative. They had never seen the power of God or they had just seen it for the first time from a trip that we sent two years previous. They were not familiar with these things. But when the young people, especially the young people, when they saw people getting physically healed, coming up and testifying, when they saw signs and wonders happening at the altar calls, they responded. And, and actually, actually, I got a Facebook message from one of the young leaders there. And uh, he was letting me know that young people have been gathering for prayer meetings on their own because they're so on fire for God. And... Uh, and we have to set some order because the, uh, some of the elders are, some of the, half of them are in agreement with it. The other half are like really scared of it. So they're kind of like pushing it away. And then the young people feel really rejected right now. And so, you know, this is where you need apostolic leadership to give covering to that kind of movement. But nevertheless, Paul here starts out saying, when I first came to Corinth, it was not with academic preaching. I came with a simple message, but I came with the power of God. And that's why, that's why your faith does not rest on men's wisdom, but on the power of God. Now, although Paul began his ministry in this way, if you keep on reading, he does say that wisdom has its place. So read with me here. Verse 6 and 7. Yet, right? So yet is telling you that it's a continuing thought. It's connected to what he previously just said. Alright, so a lot of people don't go on to the yet. So let's go on to the yet. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. How many of y'all want to know about that secret and hidden wisdom of God? How many of y'all know that God doesn't just... Put out his wisdom like, here's my wisdom. Everybody take it. A lot of times his, his, his wisdom, he keeps a secret. He keeps it hidden for those who are truly hungry for him. He doesn't just give it out, give it out to anybody that just wants to hear it. He wants to know you're serious. He wants, if you, you will, you will, if you seek God with your whole heart, you will find him. Right? Uh, and so God wants to know you're serious. And, and the word of God says here, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So what's the key for uh, the words here is in verse six. Yet among the mature, yet among the mature. So Paul began by saying, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words until y'all were mature enough to hear it. And then. Among the mature, he did bring wise and persuasive words. In fact, it didn't just, it wasn't like the wisdom of the world he's saying. It's a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Check this out, verse 7. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for, everybody say, our glory. Our glory. God has decreed. Secret and hidden wisdom for your glory. He's done it for your glory. And do you know when he did it? 
He didn't do it in 1995 when he saw that you were starting to live for him. The Bible says he decreed it before the ages. Before the earth was even created. Before time was created. Before there was an A.D. and a B.C. He decreed the secret hidden and, secret and hidden wisdom. He decreed it before the ages for your glory. Now the part that's bothering many of you in here is the for your glory part. So today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confront that. You know why? Because a lot of what you've concluded about the word glory is religion, not the Bible. It's out of tradition, not out of revelation. You've been told that. You've been, you've been um, not brainwashed, but you know, you, you've been, uh, no other better word. You've been brainwashed <laughs> into a very particular view and use of that word glory. And I'm going to confront that today. Okay? And so, I'm preaching this message. I don't preach this when I go to a brand new church. I don't preach this when I go into the missions field. I preach this among the mature. Now, given that most of you in here are mature, some of you are not, you still get the message. It might, you might have a harder time. You might, like, choke on it, like, you know, like some bad Mexican food. You know, it might, it might, you might have some indigestion. But just let it sit and it'll nourish you. Not like Mexican food. It'll nourish you like <laughs> healthy food. It'll nourish you. All right, but among the mature, I'm going to preach this message here. All right? So, so key passage, you've got to go back to our key passage. Romans 8.29. This is what I'm going to take apart for you. Romans 8.29. Most of you have a college degree. You can stay with me here. All right? Romans 8.29. Just stay with me. You can choose to disagree. But know what you are disagreeing with. Romans 8.29. I'm reading from the ESV. It's more of a literal translation. I'm going to read verse 29 and verse 30. Okay. I want you to join with me in reading verse 30. I'm going to start with 29. 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, this is talking about God, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, I know many of you have a problem with that word. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And everyone, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I presented it here. We've got to deal with it. Who is he talking about in verse 30? Those he predestined. Who is he? Talking about God. Those God predestined, God also called. Those whom he called, God also justified. Those whom God justified, God also glorified. Now when we use the word glorify, many times how do we use it? What context? We use it in worship to talk about who? To talk about God. When we use the word glorify, we almost always exclusively reserve it only for God. May you be glorified, God. You alone be glorified. God, be glorified in this place. Well, you have a problem here because the word glorified is being used here not for God. It's talking about you. It's talking about the people of God. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you know that God intended from the beginning of time, before he even created Adam and Eve, he predestined you for glory. Not for you just get saved. That's the evangelical emphasis. He predestined you for glory. You are destined for glory. Now, I will make you say it, but I know you're struggling with it right now. So I'm not going to make you say it. But just, just stay with me here. All right? The Bible says he, he also glorifies. He glorifies his people. That, that right there might offend some of y'all. No! He only glorifies his name. He only glorifies himself. It's somewhere in the Bible. And they often will quote this verse. 
Isaiah 48:11. For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. I will not give my glory to another. You see that? God will not give his glory to another. Not even to his people. Don't you dare, Pastor Christian, use that word glorified to refer to God's people. That's offensive. It's unbiblical. Look at Isaiah 548 verse 11. Okay, and you know what? This is a typical John Piper emphasis. And I highly honor John Piper. Alright, but I feel like God's bringing a fresh revelation regarding this. Because John Piper is responding to the American Christianity that he sees. The materialism, the, um, the lack of passion, the, the, the complacency. He's responding to that. So I used to go to um, a lot of passion events where John Piper would be invited by Louis Giglio to preach at. And I would listen to his message and it would awaken something in me. Like, yeah, I shouldn't be just passionate about uh, getting a business job. I shouldn't just be passionate about going to a football game. I should be passionate for God. And John Piper will always preach, you got to be passionate for his glory. For his renown. You do not bring glory to God by doing circles around the mall every weekend. You know, and, and John Piper will preach in this way. It's an emphasis. But we need to understand that within the context of an emphasis does not mean that revelation just ends there with that emphasis. There are truths. And then there are truths in the kingdom of God that are more true. So, for example, right? You are a servant. Right? You should have a servant's heart. A lot of us refer to ourselves as servants of God. I'm a servant. You're a servant. Everybody in here should serve the church. Serve God's people. Go out and serve on the missions field. You're a servant. That's true. It's true. But you know something that's more true? You are a friend of God. So Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. They're like, huh? What are you talking about? You've been teaching us about service. You just washed our feet. What are you talking about, Jesus? Aren't we supposed to be servants? And Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. It's not that you, you, your identity as servants is not true. It's just there's something more true. That, that if you start to focus on it, it's going to even give you greater, it's going to bring out greater action, greater sacrifice, greater devotion. It's that you're, you're my friends. I call you friends because a, ma- a servant doesn't know his master's business. But I'm telling you all about the father's business. Because God's not just looking for servants who will just mindlessly do their duty. God is looking for friends. God is looking for sons. God is looking for people that will partner with him. And have ownership over what they are doing. And understand the heart of the one who is asking him, asking them to do it. So I call you friends. So in this way, there are things that are true and there are things that are more true. And so here with Isaiah 48 where it says, I will not give my glory to another. Check this out, right? The context of that passage, if you want to talk about the context, is actually talking about idolatry. So God is saying... I will not give my glory to another, meaning to another idol, to another God, to another religion. I will not give my glory because I'm the only true God. If you all understand what I'm saying, I'm the creator of the universe. I will not give my glory to another. So in the context, it's actually talking about idolatry. Um, But there's another passage that comes to mind. Psalm 115. Not to us. And we have a song about it. Not to us, but to your name. Be the glory. All right, so it's actually a Bible verse. Not, not to us, not to us, O oh Lord. Uh, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Not to us. You see that? <laughs> glory is not for us. It's for God. You should never use the word glory or glorify to refer to us. It is only reserved for God. It says not to us, O oh Lord. And then it says again, not to us. But to your name. We even have a song about it. This, this cannot be moved. Right? And I just would break it down this way. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name be the glory. 
Meaning, if you're talking about names, if the name of David Kang gets glorified on the earth, they might feel pretty good. His friends and family might feel pretty good. But guess what? Nobody gets saved. When the, the Bible doesn't say, when the name of David Kang is lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Right? The Bible says in the book of Acts, there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. That's the name of Jesus. But if you're talking about names, it says, not to us, to, not to us but to your name be the glory. You know, I specifically think that's talking about the name of God. The glory of God in his fame and his name. We don't want to compete for the name of God, do we? Of course not. I'm not saying what I'm arguing for you. But I believe that that's talking specifically about the name and fame of God. But just because that's true does not mean that God doesn't want you to be glorified. Am I making you all uncomfortable? Because I'm doing that on purpose. I want you all to be uncomfortable. I want, you to, I, want to create the dissent, I want to create the discomfort and bring release through scripture. Now you can disagree with me, but once again, you need to learn and understand what you're disagreeing with. But this is a wisdom for the mature right here. It's a secret and hidden wisdom of God. So I don't think this is a popular message you will hear from many pulpits. If you have a mature enough heart, I believe that you will hear this. And you will understand how important it is. This is for the people of God to get. Right? And so um, the typical argument where they're still arguing that we should never use glorify for us. It should only be reserved for God. Is they use two examples. They use one example is King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, at the, one of the height of his reign in the Old Testament book of Daniel... He's standing in his palace. He's like, look at all this stuff. Did I not make all this stuff for my... Man, I'm so cool. I'm so great. Look at me. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. Right? If you want to go there, it's Daniel chapter 4. It's actually funny if you read this. Daniel chapter 4. It's really cool. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28 to 33. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace... King answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And then while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar! (laughs) To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven among men, and your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven among men and was made to eat grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. One moment, Kim Nakanur was like, yeah, I created all this for the glory of my majesty. And then the voice of heaven says, you know, you're gonna, you, you, you made a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. And all of a sudden, he's like on the field. Like, ah. And he's just like eating for seven periods of time. Right. People of uh, Babylon look and they're like, is that King Nebuchadnezzar? People couldn't believe it because he looked so different because he had long fingernails and crazy looking hair. What are y'all looking at? Is King Nebuchadnezzar here? All right. And so some people use that example and say, you see that? If you don't give glory to God alone, that's what will happen to you. So then whatever you do, you better give glory to God because that's what will happen to you. Let King Nebuchadnezzar be the example. And so, you know, you know we're like, oh, all right. It might, maybe it might be true. I better give glory to God. So, you know, we... Hey, Pastor John, that was a wonderful time of praise. Glory to God. <laughs> what is... What? Uh, yeah, Pastor John, I just really liked your guitar playing. It's all by God's glory. By, all by God's grace. Glory to God. You know, we've been really just blessed by your ministry every single... Glory to God! You know, and you know, some people do that. In fact, I used to do that. Right? Now I don't do that. When somebody compliments me or somebody honors me that way, 
I just say thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for showing me that honor. You know, when, you, when you're just constantly cutting them off and saying, glory to God, glory to God. You're robbing the people from being able to honor you. And you're not able to come into your own identity. And you're always living out of insecurity and fear. Alright, so stay with me. There's another example. King Herod. Book of Acts, chapter uh, 12. This is cool too. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not looking at you, Janae. Acts chapter 12. This is King Herod. There are, there are, there are many King Herods in the Bible. This is one of them. All right, Herod uh, is, is uh, doing this thing, and then uh, the people shout, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. And the Bible says, Acts chapter 12, verse 23, Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, and some translation will say glory to God, if Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. So people say, you see that? You see what happened to Herod? If anyone gives you any kind of credit for what you're doing, you better say, praise to God, glory to God. You give God all the glory or he might, you might just end up like Herod. Get struck down by an angel and get eaten by worms. Do you want to be eaten by worms? Then glory, give glory to God. Give glory to God right now. Everybody put your hands together. Give glory to God, you know. It's good. I actually preached this one time. But hey, hey, it's not that it's not true. There's things that are more true. Now, I've entered into a greater realm of revelation. And so people, you know, use these times examples to argue, hey, you know, don't you ever take the glory. Don't you ever take any credit. You had nothing to do with it. You're just a worm. You're just a wretched sinner. You're a worthless sinner servant. And it is by the grace of God that you were able to do anything. And it's true. That's true. We are like unworthy sinners. And we should get, you know, get the wrath of God and go to hell. But, you know, by the blood of Jesus, we have been saved. You know, it is by the grace of God. Paul said it is by the grace of God. I am who I am. Yeah, yeah sure. It is the grace of God. But when we do that, we make God sound really insecure. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, like Hyoju, you sang so beautifully. Like a, like a swan, you were just... Swans don't sing, I'm sorry. Like a... I don't know, like some animal that sings. You were so beautiful. You were, you, I was so blessed by watching you lead praise. Thank you so much, Hyoju. Thank you so much. All right? And somebody comes, Hyoju, you better give glory to God. Don't receive that. Give glory to God. Don't take any credit. Just say, it's only by the grace of God that I was able to do that. And we make God sound like he's insecure. Like God's like, hey, hey, what are you doing? Are you taking glory? Are you taking credit? Don't you understand it's by my grace that you're able to sing? I'll turn you into a swan. So you cannot sing. I don't know, like, it make it sound like God is insecure. Hurry up, give glory to God. Hurry up. It's true though. It's true. You know why? Because I used to, I used to be in all of, I was up in all, I was up in that piece. I was doing that all the time. But there are portions of scripture that reveal to us. God is not insecure about that issue. He's actually not that really, like he's not really insecure at all. (laughs) First Peter chapter five, verse four says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. That's interesting. There's a crown you're going to get, not just a crown of life, but a crown of glory. And that word glory is pretty loaded. The glory, you know. So when you get to heaven, there are going to be there are people getting crowns of glory. Meaning that God wants to put on your head glory. He wants you to carry 
glory. He wants you to be glorified. So, so my main argument is going to come from Romans 8, right? So let's go back to Romans 8. Centered, be centered there. Romans 8, right? And uh, I'm sorry, but Calvinism's going to come out here, all right? Because you can't avoid it. It says here, Romans 8, 29, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, predestination in Christianity, this is a, uh, let me clarify. Predestin- it's not that you believe, you choose to believe predestination or you don't. That's not the issue in Christianity. A lot of young people misunderstand that. And they say, I believe in predestination. And other people say, how dare you? What are you, like one of those hyper-Calvinists? I don't believe in predestination. I believe God gives everybody a chance to get saved. You know, and so they, they argue that. And they say, I don't believe in predestination. And when a person says that, it shows their ignorance. Because the historical argument in history has never been whether you believe in predestination or not. Catholics believe in predestination. Lutherans believe in predestination. Every denomination of Christianity believes in predestination. Why? It's in the Bible. The actual word was not coined by Calvin. It's in the Bible. The Apostle Paul used it. It's a concept he received by revelation. And so the question is not whether you believe it in or not. It's how do you define predestination? Alright, and so check this out. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. A lot of people will see this and they say, God, he foreknew you, so he predestined you. And the way that they qualify this, if you are not a Calvinist, they would say, God foreknew that you would choose to receive Christ as your savior. And God foreknowing your choice, To receive Christ as your Savior, He predestined you. You see that? It says it right here. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. So, God's predestinating act, God's predestinating act is dependent on whether you receive Christ or not. And that's the common Arminian, what's called the Arminian argument for election. People get offended at the idea that God... In ages past, he would choose those whom he would save. They're offended by that. So they choose to believe that God predestines according to what you do with the gospel. Okay? That's a good argument. When you look at verse uh, 20, 29, when you dwell in verse 21, 29. But the problem you get is when you get to the next verse. Look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called... And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's stop there, right? Look at, this is called the golden chain. Look, look at the sequence, right? Those whom he predestined, he also called. So what happens first? The predestining happens first. The calling happens second. Well, the Arminian argument that will dwell on verse 29 says, no, 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 no. It's the calling of the gospel that goes out. God sees what you do with that calling. And then he predestines you. So they would say, if they had to rewrite this verse, just to clarify, they would say, those whom he called, he also predestined. And when we talk about call, we're probably talking about the call of the gospel. And we're not just talking about the general call of the gospel when the gospel is preached. We're talking about the inner call of God to bring someone to salvation. You guys with me on these concepts? We're talking about theology here. It's like some of the systematic theology, right? And and so a lot of Arminians will argue that uh, verse 30, um, they try to redefine what called means. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Well, this call, um, um, actually there's not not been a very good argument for how they redefine the word call here. They they just don't like this verse. (laughs) So truth. They, they hate this verse. It's called the golden chain. Right? But if you are a Calvinist, you have no problem with this. Why? Because those whom he predestined, he also called. Meaning, because God predestined you in ages past, he knew that he's going to create you. He knew that you would be born into uh, a Korean American family. He knew 
that in fifth grade that you would hear the gospel for the first time. Right? He, he actually didn't just know that. He planned that. He didn't just know that it was going to happen. He actually was actively involved in making it happen. So therefore, he really chose you. And the only reason he made it happen was because he chose you in the first place. And then he predestined you. And then when it came time in history, the call went out. And then the way, once he calls you, he can't just bring you into heaven. He's got to do something about your sin. Right? So those whom he called, he also justified. And how are we justified? By the cross of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they were justified by looking forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we are justified by looking back at the cross. But either way, we look with faith. Okay, now, the Old Testament, they didn't know about the cross. That's all right. You didn't have to know exactly about the cross. He was talks about faith. Faith in God's promises. Now, all right, I'm losing some of y'all. All right, but this is not the main focus of my message, right? Anyway, God, he predestines, and then he calls, and then he applies the cross, and he justifies. And then this is the last step I want to focus on today, is he glorifies. God has destined you for glory. He has not destined you just for salvation, meaning going to heaven. He has destined you for glory. For you to experience glorious things on the earth. For you to be attributed to glorious acts on the earth. He has predestined you. He has destined you for glory. Now, I'm going to present some passages that you can wrestle with. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The glory of the Lord. Well, let's talk about the glory of the Lord. It's not your glory. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. But all right, well, if, if people don't know about Christ, when they see the glory rising upon you, they don't necessarily know it's the glory of the Lord. They think it's your glory. Well, no, it's still the glory of the Lord. So people will argue against that. All right, so that's not the best passage to use. All right? Isaiah 55, 5. All right, you have a very big problem because it states it explicitly. Isaiah 55, 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. If you have your Bible, you should look at this because you're arguing with me in your mind, but you're not looking at the Bible. So you want to argue philosophically, you're not going to go anywhere. Your argument needs to come from the Word of God. You cannot argue theology philosophically. It is an aimless beating of the air. It is a prideful activity of man. It's not for you to see how smart you are and how much you can connect dots. It's about whether you will submit to what God has said or not. Okay, and so check this out. Isaiah 55 verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Say, He has glorified me. He has glorified me. Oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you feel uncomfortable? He has glorified me. If you ever got up and you were leading prayer and you were like, God has glorified me. People were like, heresy! Picking up, picking up chairs to throw. You get chaired to death. But you would, you would not be completely incorrect. You would be only incorrect if your thinking about that term is incorrect. But if you understood the revelation behind it, and you had a balanced character to know how to handle that secret, hidden, secret and hidden wisdom that's imparted to the mature... If you have that kind of maturity, you would not be incorrect. Because it says here, God is the one who glorifies you. Right? And so, check this out. Um, I went to India a month ago. And when I went, they had never heard me preach a single message. They had heard my wife preach. And she preached, she preached, she did a pretty good job. And then, so they were like, if his wife preaches like that, we want to see the husband. I don't know what their logic was. 
But they had never seen me preached. They had never heard, heard, heard they, they, they never, they never, I don't even, they, they have, you know, good internet access there. So, you know, they, it's not like they were all listening to my podcast and they're like, oh, um, we're so excited. You know, I'm like the Bill Johnson of in, in Manipur, India. You know, no, they, they didn't know nothing about me. But the people were so excited. They were so excited. And they showed me so much honor. And I'm like, why? All right. And then um, there was an establishing, there was an inauguration service for a ministry called Apostolic Ministries. All right. And this guy, Pastor Stephen, he's been at it doing apostolic ministry for many, many, many more years than I have. And he probably has many, many much more experience than I have. I've only been the pastor here for three years. He's been doing this for like 11, 12 years, right? He's much older than me. He has a child. He has a daughter. I'm just this young dude, 31. I just turned 32 yesterday. I was 31. I walk in and he allows me to be the main guest speaker for his inauguration service. And seated at the service are politicians from Manipur, policemen, government officials, people who collect your taxes. I don't know. They're like all these like very, and, and there were pastors who've been doing ministry for like 25 years. They're all there. And then they give me the mic and I'm looking at them and I'm like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> You don't even know me. Why would you give me this mic? Why are you giving me this honor? And I was like, God, what is going on? Why do they like me? Why? Why do they trust the things that I'm saying? Why? Why? Because of your wife. No. My my wife definitely contributed to it, but that's not what God gave me. God gave me Isaiah 55.5. And so I look at this. I'm pouring over this passage. And God is like, look at this, look at this, look at this. You shall call a nation that you do not know. A couple of years ago, I didn't know the Kuki nation. And they're a nation there, man. They're not just, it's not like just Indians. They're called Kuki. They're a specific people's group called Kuki people. K-U-K-I. Kuki. I know. <laughs> Get over it. And then they're real people. They're Kuki people. Two years ago, I didn't know what the kooky people were. Oh, what, what is that? Kooky? What you want, a kooky? Kooky, kooky? I did not know the kooky people. And the Bible says, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And then check it out. Next, next part of it says, a nation that did not know you, they shall run to you. We had a three-night revival in the city of Impal, right? And it's a revival meetings with Pastor Christian Lee. And they never heard me preach before. And the first night, there was a good number of people. Second night, there were more people. Third night, it was packed. Everywhere, wall to wall. It was just packed. Now granted, the second night, my wife preached. So maybe uh, they thought she was preaching the last night. I don't know. She did an awesome job, by the way. People were like clapping in the middle of the uh, sermon. They didn't clap for me, but, but, uh, but it's okay. It's all right. But they ran. They ran to this revival service. A nation you did not know shall run to you. I'm like, why? Why are they running to me, Lord? I'm just a Korean American off the streets of Philly. I don't, I don't even have a seminary degree. By the way, I don't have a seminary degree. I'm not, I'm not ordained. They don't, they don't know why, why are they running to me? Why did they put my name on this revival service? I've never been in this city before. Maybe if I came before and they heard me preach a little and they liked it and they invited me back. Why are they, sh- why? And, and so keep reading, it says, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel. For He has glorified you. The reason you're able to give the message at the inauguration service, the reason why you have a three-night revival with your name on the banner, because I'm glorifying you. God, that sounds dangerous. Why would you do that? It's because I know your heart. You know my heart. My purpose was never for you to just be a robotic servant 
who just does their duty. The prayer of my son Jesus was always that we will be one. Like I and Jesus the son is one. My heart has always been for oneness, communion, intimacy, partnership. Christian, you are my partner on the earth. I know you got weaknesses. I see them all. I'm God. But I'm not insecure to entrust to you things that I expect you to prove faithful with. I know you might not. But I still entrust it to you so you can prove faithful. And I don't mind you being glorified. Because as you're being glorified, you're in such oneness with me that all the glory is coming to my name. Because during those three nights of the revival, what did Aaron and I preach? We preached Jesus. Who did the people talk about when we left? They talked about God. They talked about Jesus. They talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, some of the more immature ones were like talking about the Koreans. Oh, the Koreans are so cool. They're so powerful. But those who were discerning, they knew it wasn't the Koreans or the Americans and their version of Christianity. No, it was God that was at work through them. I'm telling you right now, God wants to glorify you. In fact, He predestined you for glory. When he sent his son, it was all part of a plan, not only to get you saved and go to heaven, but for you to be glorified. For those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Isaiah 62, 2. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings... Your glory. The nations shall see your righteousness and your glory. God doesn't say my glory. He says no. They're going to see your glory. And I'm okay with that. Are you? But, but, but God, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want the glory. It's all about you. I know that. You say it a million times. Can you just get comfortable with what I have designed for your life? As you get glory, I'm telling you, I'm going to get glory. Don't worry. If you're in oneness with me. If you start to go off on your own, oh, there's going to be trouble. And that's what happens. There are powerful ministers. There are powerful musicians. They're powerful directors, gifted people who have an anointing, who have a gift, they have a call. And they start rising to stardom. They start rising into fame. And God actually starts to glorify them. And He glorifies them. And they are able to pack out stadiums of thousands of people. They're able to pack out a field in Kenya of a million people. God glorifies. That's glory. That is glory. You cannot argue with me. That although you may be uncomfortable with what Benny Hinn does, Benny Hinn has been glorified by God. You try to organize a crusade next week in Singapore and let's see how many people show up. You go, you go over to, to, to France, you go over to Nigeria, let's see how many people show up. But when Benny Hinn goes, it thousands pack it out. But you know what? And this is not on Benny Hinn. It could be good for anybody. But I, I'm sorry I brought up the name Benny Hinn. But if you stay in oneness with God, your life will continue to produce fruit and give God glory as he has glorified you. But as you're being glorified, you let that get to your head or you start getting into pride. And this is what Andre Spisoni warned me. He said, in uh, Argentina, we have three warnings. Uh, it's, uh, uh, anyone know uh, Spanish? Uh, it's falta. I'm sorry? No, 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 there's three, three F's. 
falta. Anyway, there's three Spanish words. And he said it's, it's fame, money, and skirts. What is it? Falta? Flauta? I don't know, man. I don't, I don't care. I'll look it up later, right? He said it's, it's fame, money, and women. Fame, money, and women. He said, because, you know, if you look at Andres Bissoni, God is glorifying him. He's able to pack out thousands, maybe even tens of thousands now. He's really having an increase in his ministry, right? But he got warnings from his spiritual fathers to say, always watch out for fame, money, and skirts. Because those things Satan will use to kill your ministry. So that you no longer bring glory to God, you bring shame to the name of Christ. How many ministers, they get glorified, and then they're found out to be having a sexual affair. They're found out to be ha- doing, having a drug addiction and sleeping with a homosexual prostitute. Have been embezzling funds. How many ministers? How many ministers? So many. A lot. A lot, exactly. You would think, this is what a lot of religious people say. Well, you would think if God, if, if, so they, they conclude God is not with them. They're actually not even Christians. They're full of the devil. And they, so they, they, they just discredit the whole thing and they just say, that's the devil. They don't know Christ. They want to act like that. Why would they have an affair if they're, if they're in Christ? Why would, why would, uh, I don't want to name names. Don't name names. Holy Spirit says don't name names. All right. I won't name names. All right. Why are these big name ministers who've been glorified and have famous TV shows, why are they going out and, 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 and shacking it up? Why are they having affairs? Why? And so they, a lot of religious voices will say they're just not of Christ. They're completely demonic. That's just of the flesh. Right? But for people that were part of the movement and their life got transformed, and they got physically healed or something, and they experienced a revival in their life and their whole family's life, they're all left shaking their heads like, what happened? Wasn't that really, that was really God because my life was transformed. But why did this person go off and have an affair? And they start to think, if I was God, I would have never glorified that person in the first place. But here's the thing, you're not God. Because, you know what? Let's be real, right? There are those who fall and they make mistakes. And uh, sometimes some of them can be restored. Some of them, they can't be restored. But with the few that fall in that way, because the few that fall, they make such media attention that it overshadow all the people that are actually faithful. Joshua's, Moses, Caleb's, Daniel's. Joseph's. You look at the lives of any of these men. They didn't falter. But David did. We start, we, start to, we start to focus on all that. And we start to focus on these big name ministers. And, we, and, and we're just going. You see that? They, they just got full of themselves. They got full of the fame. They let the fame get to them. All that stuff. But check this out. Even though that happens, there's a number of men. Joyce Myers. God bless Joyce Myers. Um, Cindy Jacobs. Bill Johnson. Che An. Billy Graham. Multitudes of faithful ones that were glorified, never fell. So when we see those who fall, don't look at them and be in fear and be like, I might fall, so I should never even pursue my dreams that way. Don't do that. Just say, no, I'm not going to be numbered with these guys. I'm going to be numbered with them. And if you have fallen, don't think that God's just given up on you. Even for those who have a divorce, even for those who have fallen, there is restoration. And we're, we receive so much grace from God. We should show each other grace at least. And if their hearts aren't right, no, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not looking for restoration for them. But if their hearts are truly repentant and they have actions, the fruit of that repentance, yeah, I'm all for their restoration. 
David was restored. He murdered someone. So let me prophesy a little bit. In this room, there are people that God wants to raise up. God wants to raise up. Now, I'm telling you right now, those whom God raises up, oftentimes, He knows the dangers. So He establishes character there before the actual success comes. Some people get the success anyway. I can't figure that out. God does still do that. They just get quick success. But the words God's always given me is, Christian, he's building in you longevity, the character for you to walk steadfast before him all the days of your life. So that you may experience increase and never decrease. But if you want to really experience that, there's a process you come through. You look at the life of Joseph. You look at the life of Daniel. You know what Daniel had to go through? He had to watch his parents being murdered before his eyes. He had to watch his whole townspeople being slaughtered before his eyes. He got... He was neutered. Castrated. Oh, man, that's, that, that's rough. <laughs> Daniel went through all that and, and, and through that process, though, God turned that around for good to build up inside of him the character for him to be a faithful witness all the days of his life. And God was not afraid to glorify Daniel. God is not afraid to glorify you. In fact, he predestined you for glory. He has destined you for it. He doesn't want you just mopping a floor all the days of your life. He's having you mop the floor because one day you're going to be in charge of the floor. You're going to be building buildings, not just mopping them. You're going to go and design buildings. You're going to uh, create an entire industry. Like George Washington Carver. There was no peanut... Peanut industry before George Washington Carver. But because of George Washington Carver, there's a whole industry. There's going to be industries that you're going to create because God's going to glorify you. Because there's an anointing, gifting character that he sees in you and he's going to continue to glorify you. Even with the danger of you falling, he's going to glorify you. So my exhortation to you is get yourself ready. If you don't want it, fine. (laughs) It's all right. You can stay where you're at. You're not going to be happy, I'll tell you that. It's the human psyche. It's the human nature to want fresher, better, greater things. The other day, there were people lined up around the Fifth Avenue Apple Store for some people for 14 hours to get an iPad 2. Why? Because people are constantly wanting and expecting upgrade, increase, greater, fresher things. God wants to do the same in your life. So get yourself ready. He wants to glorify you. Oh man, that was a hard message to preach. I'm glad y'all stay with me. Praise the Lord. Let's close our eyes. <clears throat> Lord God, we, we thank you so much that it says in your word, the glory of the latter house should be greater than the first. We thank you that, God, we are coming into seasons of increasing glory in our personal lives and in the life of this church. God. We thank you that New Philadelphia Church cannot stay where we are at. We refuse to stay where we are at. And we pray that, God, indeed, you will glorify this church. You will just continue to lift up this church and just continue to build up this church so that, God, we can touch the nations, God. The nations that we did not know will run to us, oh God, because of the Lord your God, because of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. And we thank you so much that, God, that we are also being built up in our character and who we are. For it says in your word that we behold, oh God, Lord, we behold Christ and we are being transformed. From glory to glory, God. So we pray that, God, that there will be a glory that we experience in our character. And there will be a glory we experience in our assignment. But, God, we are no longer playing this modest religion game. But we pray, God, may your name be glorified. 
as you glorify your people. May your very people and the things that they do and behave in a wicked and pagan system, may that set-apart behavior be to your glory. Your very people are your glory. So God, we pray, we come in agreement with your word that we are destined for glory. So Father, we pray you will glorify your people and that you will glory, you will glorify your name and that we will do it with the steadfastness of a Daniel, of a Joshua, of a Caleb. In Christ's name, amen.